That song ended a lot faster than the other ones do. Before we get started today, I know I mentioned last week that I just want us to find more times in the service for us to be able to pray together. So that's how we're going to start this time today. Does that sound good for everybody? Awesome. So right now, I just want to go ahead and lead us in a couple minutes of prayer. And uh, I just want our prayers to be specifically focused on the Lord, on His glory and His greatness, and the, uh, the amazing forgiveness He's given us. Does that sound good? All right, let's go ahead and let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for Faith Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord, for all the people, Lord, who you've gathered here today to worship you. God, is it, a, it is an awesome sight to see your kingdom at work, to see your kingdom at worship right now, Father. And I just lift up the people at this church to you, Lord. I, I ask, Lord, as a group that we come before you to seek your glory right now, God. So right now, church, right where you're at, pray right now to your glorious heavenly Father, for the majesty of his creation and the power that come from the works of his hand. Praise him now. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we recognize that we are wholly dependent upon you, Father. Lord, there is nothing we can do in this world, there is nothing we can do by the power of our own hands, Father, that will stand, Lord. So we, right now, um, as a church, right where we're at, just seek the Lord and ask him for his provision and ask him for his Holy Spirit to help us and trust in him. Father, as we prepare to go before your word, we recognize, Lord, that we are helpless sinners before you, Father, and we thank you so much for the amazing grace that your son Jesus has given us. God, I just pray for the congregation right now, right where we're at, that we would just seek you and we would just acknowledge this grace that you poured out upon us by the blood of your son Jesus. Praise God right now for that church. Father, we just lay all these things at your feet right now. Father, I pray that you help us keep our eyes fixed upward this morning as we come to your word. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would bring you great glory and honor and praise and would get to the heart of what you're trying to tell us today, Lord. And if it's not from you, I pray that everybody would forget it and it would, it would never be remembered again, Lord. But I just pray that, uh, Lord, everything would just come uh, from this spot this morning would just bring you uh, that glory and praise and would encourage your church today, Father. So God, we thank you for this time to pray together, Lord. I just pray that you just give us a heart and a burden to do this more, to pray together more, Lord, to, to just come together in anguish with one another, seeking you, because, Lord, we truly are wholly dependent upon you. 
Remind us of that today, Lord, as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, church. We'll continue to do more and more of that as we go and find more and new ways to incorporate that as I just feel very burdened for us to be more and more a praying church. Um, I think the Lord is going to, the Lord is the one who's building this house, amen? It's not Matt, it's not Eric, it's not Kaiki, it's not any one of us individually. The Lord is the one building this house, and we are going to be wholly reliant on Him because this house is one piece of His kingdom, right? And He is the one who's pushing His kingdom forward to the ends of the earth. So we are going to pursue Him passionately in prayer as a church. That is a, a piece of our identity we need to embrace. I know I welcomed everybody here once already, but I just want to say it again. It is my pleasure to be here with you all to dig into the Word of God. And uh, we're going to continue today uh, through Matthew chapter 13. Um, And we've chosen to go through this chapter in Matthew uh, for a specific purpose. There's a theme we've started building with uh, uh, Pastor Will Almeida was here in August that we're hitting now, that we're going to be going into, into next year as we look at the kingdom of God, how he builds it. And what the, what the foundation of that is, how he builds it, and what our role is to play in the kingdom, right? Because we do have a role to play in this kingdom. That's why we started in Ruth back in August. And, and Will Almeida, he asked that question. He said, what, was, what is the, God's answer to the end of chaotic leadership? Because that book of Ruth is during the time of Judges, where we know there is no king in Israel, and everyone does what was right in their own sight, There was no king. They're looking for the king. And the book of Ruth is God's sovereign plan to work his way towards establishing his king amongst his people. And now here we we get into September and we turn to Matthew 13 and we turn to a section that's known as the parables of the kingdom to make ourselves more and more kingdom-minded in how we're living and to recognize the fact that we are not just citizens of this world any longer, but we have been made citizens of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus came preaching. These three short verses we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. If you haven't opened there, I just ask you to go ahead and open there with me. I'm going to read them aloud and just would like you to follow along with me. But these three verses, they may be short, right? It's three verses, but I think they have big implications for how Jesus intends to grow his kingdom and how we as citizens of that kingdom are to be living. Three verses, short passage, big implications, church. There's big implications. So hopefully you've all had a second there to open up to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 31 to 33, so please follow along with me. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. So we get going today, I want to do something I don't always do, but I want to give you a little bit of an illustration here. Don't know if you guys can see that from where you're at. I know if you're watching online, you can't see that. But that is a zucchini seed. Anybody see that? No, it's too tiny, right? So that tells you how small zucchini seed is, right? It's that tiny. 
I know I just read the text, and Jesus used the example of a mustard seed, so nobody sit there and point it out and say, Matt, you brought the wrong seed, you silly guy. I know I brought the wrong seed. I did it on purpose, right? Because I didn't grow any mustard in my garden this past year, but I grew some zucchini, right? And I know some of you grew zucchini, and while I've tried my hand at gardening, uh, I certainly still have much to learn. And I was amazed at the zucchini that we got, right? I said, look at that, Meyer, take that. I got, look how nice this looks. And I was amazed at the, the ones that I got this past year. Brian and Jody stopped by for their meal with us after Lydia was born, and my jaw dropped when they gave us this. Less like a zucchini and more like a club, right? I feel like I could sleep with this next to my bed to fight off an intruder at night. So this, this little seed, bigger than a mustard seed, right? But so small you can't see it from where I'm at. In a few months, turned into this. It's pretty amazing. I've never seen a zucchini that big, church. Kind of amazing thing, right? My jaw dropped. It's amazing, too. I've never seen one like that. And the more amazing thing, if you think about it, is the zucchini is just a fruit, too. So I can't even imagine how big this bush was that was growing this zucchini. This must have been a big bush, right? And it all started, it all started with this one tiny little seed. One tiny little seed in the ground. Made this. Things humongous. In our parables we're focusing on today, Jesus begins with another agricultural parable. And this second one is a little bit different, but he's using these parables to convey a message to the crowd so that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear the words that he's putting before him, that they would receive insight into what Jesus is on this earth to do. These are parables number three and four of Matthew chapter 13. These two parables, right, the mustard seed and the leaven, they directly follow the parable of the weeds that we spent a little bit of time looking into last week. And these are being spoken to the same crowd of people. So the same people that heard the parable of the weeds, these are the same people that now hear the mustard seed and the leaven. And these crowds of people who are hearing, um, these crowds of people are flocking to Jesus right now, aren't they? We saw at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, there was a crowd that surrounded him, uh, so much so that he had to go out on a boat to kind of get away and get to a place where he could, he could uh, explain this parable. Now there's another crowd around him. The crowds are coming because they hear about this man named Jesus who's doing these amazing things. The Bible says uh, the crowds are amazed because he's teaching like one who has real authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. They're amazed because this man Jesus is walking around casting out demons. And they're amazed because this man Jesus is walking around performing miraculous healings. People who have been um, paralyzed from birth are now walking. People who are deaf are now hearing. These miracles are being performed in Jesus' wake, and there's a bit of a buzz that's beginning to be created around Jesus. Now here he is with another crowd around him, and he goes to these parables. He goes to these parables, beginning with these agricultural parables, explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we know Jesus came preaching the parable, or Jesus came preaching what? In Matthew chapter 4, it's recorded as he came on the scene to begin his public ministry. 
He's here to preach, or he's here preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message Jesus begins with in his public ministry. And now people are beginning to talk. People are beginning to wonder about this man. Who is this guy? Is this the guy? Is this the guy who is going to restore Judah? Is this the guy who is going to restore Israel to its rightful place? Is this the guy? And they're pursuing him and coming after him and looking for some sort of confirmation in their own mind and their own eyes for what they think the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to be doing. These crowds of people had the right guy to go to. But I think as these parables illustrate, the masses of this remnant of Israel were hoping to find a different kingdom than the one King Jesus came preaching. These two different parables, they may use different elements to get their meaning across, but they share a common understanding. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to see that here in just a few minutes as we dig into the elements of the parables and the meaning. See, in these two parables that Jesus gives the crowd, we see the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is preaching starts very humble. And it starts seemingly insignificant. Jesus isn't riding in on a war horse this time to, to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. This kingdom that he's preaching is small and humble. And to the ears of the Jews who hear him, it seems so insignificant that this couldn't possibly be the guy. Well, Jesus tells us that this kingdom that he has come to establish, it is going to grow, it is going to infiltrate the kingdom of darkness that is in this world, and it becomes a place of blessing, not just to the people who are a part of it, but it becomes something that's affects are felt the world over. The effects of the kingdom, the impact of the church, the effects of that are felt the world over. We want to have ears to hear the truth of this parable, church. And we want to have ears to hear the truth of this parable because we are a people who want to be kingdom-minded. Go and click down real quick, guys. That's the main idea and the reason why we're looking at oh, don't ruin my surprise. <laughs> I had it. Sorry, Jerry. That was the main idea I just said, right? The kingdom of heaven, it starts humble and seemingly insignificant, but it grows so that its effects are felt across the world. That is the, the through line of these two parables I think we find. And I said it already, but we, we're looking at this and we're understanding this. Why this is important to us is because this is to make us kingdom-minded people as we live out the growth of Jesus' kingdom. Right? I'll hit this one too, so you don't have to. A couple weeks ago, I finished with this little illustration there, right? It's a passport, right? It has the United States of America on there. But once you've been saved, once you have come to Christ, right? You may still in this world be a citizen of the United States of America, but you might as well cross that thing out because your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Your citizenship belongs with Jesus. Right? So where's your passport being held? What kingdom is on the front of that passport? That's why we're looking at these parables. To make us more kingdom-minded. Because we are citizens of this kingdom of Christ. So what do we learn from these two parables? Let's go ahead and first break down uh, the elements, like we've done the last couple of weeks, that, that make these up. You can look back at verse 31 with me. Jesus says, he put another parable, or it says, Jesus, he put, he, that is Jesus, 
put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. We have three elements in the parable again, don't we? The three elements are the man, the field, and the grain of mustard seed. I think it's also important for us to recognize here, before we kind of dig into some of those, where this parable falls in the story. Because last week we, we went to the parable of the weeds, and then these two parables sit in between the parable of the weeds and the explanation of the parable of the weeds. And this is important to, to recognize that this, these are sandwiched in there because there's help in, I think, understanding these two parables that we're reading right now. Because there's similar elements in both, isn't there? In both of those, there's a man and there's a field, right? So I think we see pretty clearly, just like last week, that the man is who? The man is Jesus. And we see the field. I think the field carries over as well. The field is the world. That was the explanation Jesus gives when his disciples asked for the explanation of the parable of the weeds. So if we rephrase the beginning of the parable now, we would say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that Jesus has sown into the world. So what is the mustard seed then? Jesus tells us in verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It's a quick side note before we go on a little bit more. This is the place where critics of the Christian faith like to come in and they like to try to discredit Scripture saying things like, See, Jesus said the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds, right? But we know it's not the smallest of seeds. There's other seeds that are smaller. And Jesus said the mustard seed uh, grows, becomes larger than all garden plants, and becomes a tree. But it's not a tree. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, right? That's what the critics like to say. They like to pick at that element of the mustard seed and nitpick it like as if Jesus was giving us a science lesson in this moment, Right? To that, I just have to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's see the, the real meaning there. This is not a science lesson from Jesus. This is not a statement about gardening facts from Jesus in verse 32. This is not his instructions given for the latest issue of Judean Homes and Gardening magazine, right? This is Jesus coming to the crowd, telling them that this mustard seed that is coming is the kingdom that he is inaugurating into this world, and this is going to be what it looks like as it grows. The mustard seed, some of you may know or may not know, probably many in the crowd knew uh, some things about it. It's only about one millimeter in diameter, right? So they're tiny, they're real small. And this tiny seed, when it's planted, it, it could literally sit on your fingertip like a little tiny pellet on your fingertip, just like a tiny round dot. It grows into something far greater than you would ever be able to tell it actually would be by looking at it. Mustard seeds, uh, I was reading about this, they actually will grow up to 12 feet in height. And not only do they grow 12 feet in height, they actually will grow out as wide as they do tall. So you're talking about a 12-foot tall uh, bush by a 12-foot wide bush. That's a pretty big bush out of a tiny little seed, is it not? It's a lot of growth. That's a big thing. But even with the imagery of this mustard plant growing into something large, which again was probably familiar to the crowd that Jesus was with, 
Jesus says that this mustard seed is going to be the largest in all the, all the garden, and it's going to be a tree. The mustard seed is not a tree. It's, it's a big, gigantic bush. And not only that, Jesus, there are larger trees in this area of the world. Why would you say something so foolish like that, Jesus? Cedar trees in Lebanon, they grow up to 100 feet tall, and they're thousands of years old. You know, these 100-foot-tall trees would dwarf this little tiny 12-foot-tall bush. So why does Jesus call this uh, mustard plant a tree? I think it's because Jesus' kingdom, he's emphasizing, is different from the kingdoms of this world. And using the grain of mustard seed and the tree that it produces is meant to highlight the humble and seemingly insignificance that the world is going to see this kingdom to be. I think a great cross-reference to highlight this we find in Ezekiel chapter 31. And here in this part of the prophet Ezekiel's writings, the prophet is instructed to retell the story of what the Lord did to the kingdom of Assyria to strike fear into the Egyptians of judgment from the Lord that is coming. Verse 2 in Ezekiel 31, it says this, Son of man, say to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering height at uh, its top among the clouds. That was the way Assyria was described. They were this big, tall, proud tree. In verse 6, if we continue on in Ezekiel 31, says, All the birds of the heaven made their nests in its bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all, the, all great nations. God's warning the Egyptians in Ezekiel 31 of the pride of the nations, the pride of the kingdoms of this earth. The Assyrian Empire was great and it was mighty and it was an earthly kingdom that the Lord described as a seer in Lebanon. This hundred foot tall tree with what you think were deep roots that would cause it to last and stand the test of time. And in verse 6, we see similar language to verse 32 of Matthew 13, don't we? We see birds coming to this tree um, the God's describing to Ezekiel. Birds of the air and beasts of the field, they look to take advantage of the protection and care that they could find in this great and powerful kingdom of Assyria. But the Assyrian Empire was just another kingdom of this world. One that was wrought with sin. One that would, like all other kingdoms of this world, come under the judgment of God. Read ahead in Ezekiel 31 to verse 10. You'll see it. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because it towered high and set its top among the clouds and its heart was proud of its height, I will give it into the hand of a mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it, with it as its wickedness deserves. I have cast it out. This is the tree of Assyria. In Ezekiel 31... I imagine several people who are listening to Jesus now in Matthew chapter 13 probably have some knowledge of that passage from Ezekiel, right? If they're good Jews, they probably have some of that in their mind. And now this kingdom Jesus is telling the crowd about, it sounds very humble in its origins because it is. 
It's not like that kingdom of Assyria, which is a tall, proud tree that mocks God with its sin and thinks that it's the one that will provide for the nations and will be the one that rules over all things. The kingdom of heaven is small like a mustard seed. Small like a mustard seed, and it's going to grow. Sounds very humble in its origins because it is, and it shouldn't surprise us given who we know the king of this kingdom to be. Paul writes about this king in Philippians 2 when he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' kingdom comes humbly, and to this world it looks insignificant because that is how Jesus came and operated himself. He came humbly, taking the form of a servant. He came humbly, humbling himself to die in place of sinners who needed God's grace and forgiveness. Planting that mustard seed that Jesus talked about in the ground for his kingdom is like Jesus who was planted in that tomb after he was put to death like a criminal. But Jesus' body, as he was laid in the earth in that tomb, it didn't just stay there, did it? That's not the end of the story, is it, church? Just like that mustard seed when it goes in the ground, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story, church. That's the beginning of the story. And if that's where the story ended, we would know why all these crowds probably walked away sad from Jesus at this time, wouldn't we? Because they heard this parable of the mustard seed, and they probably looked at the story the way Jesus' disciples looked at each other during those three days Jesus spent in the tomb. Where they were confused and scared and said, I thought this was the guy who was the Messiah. He was supposed to, he was supposed to restore, bring about the kingdom. These people here are hearing this, this parable and they're thinking, no, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to be riding in on that war horse and chasing out uh, the Romans and reestablishing the kingdom of Israel and us being God's people in God's place, worshiping the one true living God. That's who you're supposed to be. And they're looking for a kingdom like Assyria looked like. A cedar in this world, roots planted in this world, stretching to the heights of this world. I'm missing what God's kingdom has always been intended to be. It's always been intended to be a blessing to all nations. It's always been intended to go to the, the far reaches of the entire earth. It's not about building one nation, whatever that nation may be. It's about building one kingdom under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's not how the story ends because Jesus tells us that this mustard seed is going to grow and it's going to grow taller than all the plants and it's going to become a tree. It's going to become a nation. It's going to become a nation of people under the rule and reign of Christ. And I think this is where we find the connective tissue between the two parables, right? This is where we find the connective tissue between the two parables. Jesus says, go back one slide, sorry, I skipped ahead. 
Jesus says in verse 32, Then the birds of the air will come and make its nest or make nests in its branches. And then verse 33, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So we have the birds of the air coming to this kingdom tree that has grown up in the field of the world. And these birds of the air, we know they're not the same thing as the kingdom, right? The kingdom is the mustard plant. The kingdom is what's growing there. But the birds come to make nests, and they come to find refuge, and they come to find care inside this bush that is growing. The growth of the kingdom and its effects are going to be felt by the world around us. And there are going to be people, there are going to be birds flocking to that bush to look for refuge, to look for sanctuary, to look for hope. Because this world, when we're off on our own and alone, this world is a hopeless world. If we're all just stardust and we're just a cosmic accident, this world is a hopeless place. We're not. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And He is building His kingdom that will stand for eternity. And we get to enjoy that now. We get to be a part of bringing that peace and that joy and that hope and that fear of God to the nations now. And the nations will feel the effects. I think there's a great example of that for us. I think you guys will understand what I'm trying to say um, it probably hit pretty close to home given the time of year it is, right? September 11th, the anniversary of that was just last Monday, right? September 11th, that's 23 years ago. 23 years ago, four planes were hijacked and were flown into two buildings in New York, the Pentagon in Washington, and one crashed in Pennsylvania. 3,000 people were killed that day. That was a day where the safety and the security of everyone in this nation was rocked. It was thrown out the window. Everybody thinks we're America. That doesn't happen here. It does happen here. It can happen here. And in that time, as the safety and the security we felt because we're Americans was, was tossed aside, people started looking for answers, and they were looking for comfort. And for a short time period, post 9-11, September 11th, that attack, Churches saw an increase in attendance. People started coming to the churches. Why? Because the birds of the air needed a place to rest. Because they knew that they could go to the church and they would find a place that felt safe, that they could find a place of refuge from this world. They could find a place of hope after their security in this world, had been stripped away from them, they could find a place of eternal hope and security in Christ. So where did they go? They went to the kingdom. They went to the kingdom. I know we all wish that would have resulted in long-term growth for the kingdom, which is people coming to Christ, asking for forgiveness of sin, and repenting, right? I know that's what we all wish would have been the long-lasting effects of that, but unfortunately... We see in our nation now, 23 years later, they look a whole, we look a whole lot more like the crowds that heard this gospel, the kingdom from Jesus, and say, yeah, I don't know, and walked away sad, right? And walked away sad. This kingdom, though, in the world, 
It is the one place where people will find true forgiveness of their sin. It is the one place they will find one real, true, lasting, eternal hope. Treasure that will endure forever. Right? Timothy, what happens to Legos after a while? Where are they going to go, buddy? In the trash, right? They're going to break. They're going to crumble. They're going to turn to dust. We have to have hope that endures and lasts forever because this world is perishing. This world is fading away. This world will be brought to dust. And the one true, lasting, eternal hope we have is Christ and His kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom is used as a light in a dark world, the kingdom, it's going to start small and humble, but it's going to grow to something far greater than we can imagine. And God is going to use the kingdom in the gatherings of the churches, right? Where we're at, whether we're this group here, or we're a group across town, or we're a group in India, or we're a group in Italy, wherever you're at, God is using the church as his little pockets of the kingdom here on earth to bring salt and light and hope to a world that is in desperate need of this message of Christ. And the effects will be felt. We might not always see people repent and believe and lay down their lives and follow Christ the way Jesus calls us to, but the effects will be felt. Rome felt the effects, right? Rome, in the 300s, when Constantine converted to Christianity, all of a sudden... Christians went from being fed to lions in the, um, in the arena, right? And all of a sudden, the arena was outlawed. They weren't feeding people to lions anymore. That's a positive effect of the kingdom, right? Having uh, these barbarian coliseums where people are literally being fed to animals for entertainment, that's a bad thing. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, that's a bad thing. That was a kingdom effect that we have still to this day. Maybe not in the same way. People aren't necessarily being fed to animals anymore, hopefully. But when we do see that, we get to bring hope and light and salt to the world and call out sin where it is when we see it. The effects are going to be felt. And I think, again, this is the connective tissue between the second half of the parable, the parable of eleven. In the parable of eleven, we, we have those three, three elements. We have the woman, we have the flower, and the leaven. All right, and the leaven is mixed inside the flour. And the leaven is supposed to be the kingdom in this, in this parable here. So the kingdom is mixed into the flour, and the flour is the world. So the kingdom is being mixed into the world. The world is being leavened with the gospel, with this good news, hope of the gospel of the kingdom. And like the parable of the weeds last week, I think we're going to see that this gospel of the kingdom is existing side by side with the world, right? Last week we had the weeds and we had the wheat together in the same field until the day of judgment comes. Now we have the flour, which is the world, and we have the leaven, which is the kingdom, being integrated and mixed in and permeating through this world. The kingdom of heaven will not simply coexist with the world, but it will penetrate it. It will permeate through it. It will infiltrate the world, and the world will feel the effects of the kingdom as it spreads through the end of the earth. Eleven permeates the flower. 
And if you mix the leaven in, if you mix the yeast in with flour, the flour is going to feel its effects, is it not? If you take, a, if you take something and you put it in the oven without yeast in it, it's going to come out one way. If you put yeast inside of it and you bake it, it's going to come out totally different, is it not? The leaven is impacting and affecting the flour. Kingdom of heaven in this parable we see is like a mustard seed that grows from humble origins into something that is far larger. The largest, Jesus says, in the garden. And it's a place of rest for weary people in the world to come to find hope in Christ. And the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like leaven that spreads and it is felt and it is mixed into this flower and it is mixed into this world. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is not one place at one time with one people. The kingdom is all places, all times, and all peoples to come and worship the one true God. And that's how the kingdom grows. It starts small. It starts with a seed. It starts with that body of Jesus being planted into the tomb and rising again. And we see that mustard bush start to grow, turning into this tree, this kingdom that God is establishing where his son rules and reigns over. And it's like leaven as it grows. It spreads. It mixes in. It mingles in with the culture around it. It doesn't pull back and hide away. It goes into the world and it brings the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be to dark places, to people that need to hear a message of good news. The world needs a message of good news, does it not, church? It needs a message of good news. And we have the greatest news ever given. That's why when we kind of shift to our applications, we get ready to close out today, I ask that question, how does this make us more kingdom-minded? Right? Kingdom-minded just means that we are people of the kingdom, so we want to think and act and live like people who are in this kingdom of Christ. Amen? How do these parables cause us to live and think and act more like a member of this kingdom of Christ? I think the first thing for us to think about is to embrace the humble way in which the kingdom grows. We're all impatient, aren't we? We all want to like, if we want to watch a TV show, we all want to just turn it on and just watch them all now and binge watch the whole thing and be done with it, right? We want all of it in one setting. Just give it to me all so I can move on to the next thing. We want it fast, we want it flashy, and we want it as quick as we possibly can, you know, because we're Americans, right? So... We want fast and flashy. Fast and flashy looks really good. But that's not just us. That's not just an American thing. You can look back at the people who were listening to Jesus, and they were the same way. They wanted it then, too. They wanted the instant results. They wanted the king that they wanted to bend the knee to. Not the one true king and his one true kingdom. So embrace the humble way this kingdom grows, church. This is very relevant to us at this moment of life for Faith Baptist Church, is it not? It'd be really easy to embrace some really bad methodology for us to say, boy, we just want to see the pews filled week after week. I want to see the pews filled week after week, right? That's a good, that's a good prayer for us to have. But there's a whole lot of things we could do that would sit there and see the pews filled, but it would look a whole lot more like entertaining goats 
than really raising up and loving and caring for sheep. So we don't want to chase after what's fast and flashy. We want to slowly plod along at the pace our King sets for us. And we want to trust Him. And we want to agonize in prayer, chasing after Him, trusting Him with the results of whatever Faith Baptist Church looks like. I don't know what it looks like. You don't know what it looks like. God's going to either turn the ship around and we are going to be used in mighty ways for the kingdom, or He may look at us down the road and say, It's time. You're done. We don't know. And that's why we agonize in prayer, chasing after the Lord. That's why we don't pursue fast and flashy. We follow this path of the mustard seed and the mustard bush, right? We know it's going to grow. We know He's going to do the work. And so we're here to worship, to enjoy this time together with one another, and to be faithful. That's what we want to do. Faithfulness. Not fast. Not flashy. Faithful. Faithful. So embrace the humble way in which the kingdom grows. Because if we don't, it's going to take us down some really bad paths as a church that wants to revitalize and be really effective reaching the community and the world around us. Second thing I've got on the screen there too is emulate the humility of our king. Right? The people who came to listen to Jesus and they heard these parables that he was giving... They didn't stick around. They left, right? And we know they left. We've repeated this over and over again these three weeks. They left because they were looking for a tall cedar. They were looking for a kingdom with roots in this world. They were looking for something that looked big and tall and beautiful to the world, that elevated their status and standing in this world. But Jesus did not come to do that. And these parables are very uh, very plain in telling us that too. Jesus came humbly. He came to die as a servant for you and for me. He didn't come to elevate himself. He was in heaven on his throne. What does he need to come to earth to be a servant for? That's humility, church. That is true humility. So let's emulate the humility of our king. Not that we don't stand for truth, right? We don't always just get walked over and let sin persist in the world. We need to speak and we need to stand in the right way. We did this going through our statement of faith, right? Back in uh, May and June and July, we took some hard stands on issues the culture says are the wrong way to think. But we said, this is what scripture says and we want to live our lives according to the way the king has told us to live. So we will stand against sin. We will say no when people say uh, evil is good and good is evil. We will say no to that because our king tells us to. The problem is Jesus, he was a troublemaker in his day too. And when he said no, they put him to death. That's not the path we want to go, is it? He didn't pick up a sword. He didn't fight back. He stood on the word of God. And he faithfully executed what he was there to do. And they put him to death. So we need to emulate the humility of our king. We're not looking for fast uh, political answers to things. Not to say we abandon the, the domain of politics. We absolutely do not. Right? Christians were troublemakers too to the Roman establishment. But 300 years later, guess what happened? 
The Roman Empire was flipped on its head. It was a good thing. And there were good things that came from that. Not that Rome was a perfect Christian kingdom or empire. It was not the kingdom. It was now a piece of the kingdom. But the Christians didn't abandon that. Because when they saw the Romans leaving their babies out to be uh, killed by the elements, the Christians ran out and saved them and brought them in and adopted them and raised them as their own. Right? They said, no, killing babies is wrong. Humans have value and dignity and worth, and we will do everything we have to to affirm that. Right? And they didn't do that with a protest or just a march. They did it by taking action, pulling kids who would die because they were exposed to the elements otherwise. Christians were thrown into the Colosseum and murdered by animals and mauled by animals for the enjoyment and entertainment of Rome. And this lasted for hundreds of years. And they didn't solve this problem, again, by a protest or, or uh, appealing to Caesar. They solved it by going faithfully to their deaths and dying and saying, we will not fight back. Christ is our King and we're going to follow His example. We need to emulate the humility of our King, church. It may change the way we need to talk online, on social media. That may need to change the way we talk to our neighbor. That may need to affect us as we think about things, especially as we move into a, a culture that becomes more and more politically divided. I don't want to save people from one political party to the other. I want to save people from death and hell to the kingdom of God. Those other things will come, but that's what we're saving people to. From, that's what we're saving people to. Embrace or emulate the humility of our king, church. Emulate the humility of our king. The third part, closely related to the first two, engage the culture by being the leaven. I kind of hit this point already, right? The church was leaven in Rome. And it took hundreds of years, but that fe- the effects of that leaven was finally felt, wasn't it? And it changed the face of Western culture forever. Embrace or engage the culture by being the leaven. We don't live in this building, church. We don't spend every hour of the week together here. I rejoice every time we do get to spend together, when we come together on Wednesdays, when we come together for uh, cider and donuts and the bonfire at the Andrews house, right? When we come together to lift our hands, to sing, and to pray, and to, to open God's Word together, I rejoice at those times together. But church, you spend way more time out there than you do in here. Way more time. God has placed us in domains of this society and He is using us as salt and light in the world to bring hope of eternal life, of peace that surpasses all understanding and the rule and reign of Christ to this world. Engage the culture by being that leaven, church. What does leaven do? It just gets mixed into the flour. You just get dropped in a neighborhood. Hey, here's my new house. Who are my neighbors? How can I care for you? How can I love you? Who are you? What's going on in your life, neighbor? Where do I work? Who are the guys that I'm working with? What are the things that are coming out of their mouth? How can I look different for them? Did I laugh at that same joke that everybody else laughed at that I don't need to? So that way the next time it comes up and everybody else is giggling at something they shouldn't be giggling at, they can say, what's wrong with you, Brian? Why aren't you laughing like everybody else? You can say, you know what, guys? The Bible tells me not to sit there and embrace course talk. It tells me not to sit there and embrace foolishness like this. So, I love you guys, but I want to serve my king. That's 11. 
get mixed in with the flour. And the effects will be felt. And people will hear, will hear the gospel. People will be saved. Disciples will be made. It's not fast and flashy. It's faithful. It's faithful. Last thing. What if the whole church was a missionary? I've asked this question many times. Many times since I've been in this position that I've been in over the last year, I've, I've brought this question up. What if the whole church was the missionary? This, sits at the, this question sits at the heart of what we're talking about with this parable of the, of the mustard seed and the leaven. Right? The leaven is getting mixed into the flour. Right? We don't just pay missionaries to go out into the world. Praise God, we get to support the work of the Joneses and the Archibalds and the Navaratis. Praise God for that. We will do that for as long as I am here in this role. That will be a core piece of our identity as this church. Praise God, one day, hopefully, we will get to participate in sending Jeffin back home to establish a ministry and a church and grow the kingdom where he's from. Praise God, we will have opportunities to do those things. Amen? But that's not the full extent of our missionary work. And if we think of ourselves as missionaries in our neighborhoods and our workplaces, right? Missionaries, we're just there living life as a disciple. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have any particular gifts that I have or anybody else has. You just have to be there. And you don't have to be fast or flashy. You have to be faithful. This is how the church is going to grow in our day and age. Programs aren't going to work anymore. Right? There's better programs out in the world for people to embrace. There's better music shows. There's better concerts for people to go to out in the world. The world needs the kingdom. And the world needs the church to be kingdom-minded, to be taking this gospel of the kingdom and the message to repent out into it. Ponder that question more, church. It's not going away. What if the whole church was the missionary? That changes the way we live. That changes the way we think. It reminds us of what? That passport we have? We've been saved. That passport says, kingdom of heaven on it. Let's live like citizens of that kingdom, church. Amen. That's it for today as we dig into Matthew chapter 13. Hopefully um, everything came out coherently and the Lord will work in our hearts and minds to be that leaven but now it's time for us to shift gears slightly and to remember our king right it's an exhortation to be kingdom minded for us today an exhortation to think about what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the implications that it has for living uh, life in this world but at the end of the day the mission is tied to the one who gave us the mission, is it not? The kingdom has to be tied to the king. And if we're trying to take the kingdom forth without the king, it's a losing battle. That's why we get to come to the table now. And we get to come and we get to remember, like Christ tells us, to remember that he has died for our sins, that he gave his body and his blood, his blood shed for us, to cover us, to wash us clean, of our sin. It's exciting to think about the kingdom and what God is doing in this world and how he will use us for that. 
but I use that, that example with the three F's several times at the end. Not fast, not flashy, but faithful. And that's what we as a church want to be. We want to be faithful. And part of that faithfulness is coming back to Christ week after week after week to remember that it's not about me. It's not just about what Faith App is doing. We don't want to build the name of Faith. Faith is just a tool for God to use. But it's about coming back to Christ. And thankfully, we get to do that week after week, coming to the Lord's table. So right now, where we're at, we're going to do a little bit differently. Before we begin the music, I'm just going to pray for us um, before we, we come to the table. But, but this time is a time for everyone who is a citizen of that kingdom to remember what Christ has done and to come and to eat and drink with him. Because we were all enemies. We were all citizens of this kingdom of darkness beforehand. And Jesus took us out of that. He took us from being enemies to making us his children in faith. And now he invites us to eat and drink together with him. And that's what we're going to do. So whether you're a member or you're a visitor, if you, your citizenship is held in the kingdom of heaven, if, you have, um, if, you have, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he is your king today, you are welcome to come to the table and to take the elements and to eat and drink with us in a minute. Because we want to glorify him and we want to remember what he's done for us. As we consider these things too, we have to acknowledge too, Scripture does give us warnings for how we're to take this, how we're to participate, right? And that first and foremost means that we are believers, we have given our lives to Christ. And that second means that we need to take this time to examine ourselves as we come to the table. And we need to look in our hearts and we need to see sin that has run rampant that we haven't dealt with. We need to sit there and we need to lay those things at the foot of the cross and we need to know that God tells us in his word that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. This is a time to come back to the table and praise God for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us with you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for washing me clean. Right now, as before we begin, before we come to the table, I want to just go ahead and invite everyone to go ahead and close your eyes and let's go ahead and pray together. Father, before we come to the table now, Lord, I just want to come before you as a church together. And I just want to ask every, every person who's here today, every person who's about to come to the table, to take this time right now and to repent. Father, there has been sin in all of our hearts and in all of our lives that has to be dealt with, God. So I pray, Lord, every, every, every person who's in this room now with their eyes closed, God, would just lay those things at the foot of the cross, knowing that, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die, to redeem us and to make us new, to wash us, to make us clean. So let us just embrace uh, those robes of righteousness that Jesus clothes us in right now. Let us not hold on to sin in our heart, God. Whatever it is, whatever needs to be uh, uh, repented of and forgiven, God, I pray that we would confess that right now to you. Church, take this time right now, right where you're at, to seek the Lord. Father, let us always be a people who are quick to flee from sin. Let us be people who are always quick to forgive when others sin against us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing right now a song.